So welcome to the Department 12 podcast. Uh, today I'm talking to Dr. Rich Mendelson. Welcome, Rich. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me, Ben. I'm doing great. So why don't you just start by telling the listeners a little bit about you know where you did your undergrad, where you did your grad, and where you landed now? Certainly. Uh, okay, so I started off doing my undergraduate studies at San Francisco State University in California. And after I graduated there, I moved back to my hometown in Florida and joined the workforce as a teacher and a wrestling coach, believe it or not. (laughs) And, um, you know, after a while, I realized that that really wasn't going to support the type of life I wanted to have. So I had to go back to graduate school. And at that point in time, I was already married and had a home and didn't really have the opportunity to pick up and move. So uh, I am a proud product of distance education. I earned my PhD at Capella University, and I actually now am a professor at Kaiser University, which is a distance graduate program as well. Very cool. Um, Thank you. I also uh, did my PhD at North Central University, which is a distance uh, institution as well. So. Well, there's two of us out there who are working yeah. in the field. That, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. So the topic uh, that we wanted to talk about was diversity. And I want to start just by defining that word because it's one of those words that I think we all we all think we know what we mean when we say it, but I'm not sure we all mean the same thing when we say it. So how do you define diversity? You know, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. I, I try not to define it. And and the reason why I think diversity is different in every different situation. Um, if, if we were to look at it, you know, from a very broad scope type of perspective, you know, at its core, diversity means difference. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a group, there should not be, you know, a, a homogeneous group. It should not be all the same types of people. Hmm. Uh, but of course, depending on where you are in terms of geography, uh, even, you know, maybe not geography, but just based on, you know, human regions, uh, religious faith, linguistics, all of these things come into play. So diversity looks very different in South Florida, for example, than it looks in Tokyo, Japan. Right. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a hard thing to define. And I think that's actually a major reason why we have, you know, so much controversy about the topic of diversity and, and how it's applied in, in today's world. So you talked about uh, controversy, and I want to come back to that because that I've definitely noticed that. I've, uh, I've taught <laughs> diversity workshops, and I've changed how I taught them. Uh, from the early 2000s, there was a, uh, I don't know, there was a more of an accusatory tone almost to the diversity workshops where you rounded everybody up and tried to make them realize how racist or sexist or whatever they were, and it's, it's since changed mm-hmm. an awful lot to sort of taking people at, um, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt that they don't want to be uh, prejudiced in any way and that maybe implicit bias comes in there and kind of opening their eyes to that. But what are some of the controversies that you see out there as somebody that's plugged into that world? Well, I think now, especially uh, in the United States anyway, where where we happen to be, uh, you have tremendous controversy about diversity because of, you know, recent political events. Uh, You have tremendous social issues going on uh, everything from you know a uh, policy that's been created the way it's been implemented uh, for years people have had issues with concepts like title nine mm. uh, affirmative action and of course 
I think most of us would like to believe that the way they were written and intended is is genuinely a, a positive, uh, but the application of them has been troublesome in, in some instances. Uh, more recently, I mean, you know, with the election that just occurred, the presidential election, uh, you have tremendous, you know, uh, bordering in some places on, on you know, civil unrest uh, because of diversity issues and, you know, uh, underrepresented populations feeling that they're not being given their due. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, in, in some cases, there, there's legitimate reason to believe that's the case. Uh, so it's, it's, it's quite interesting in the workforce and, you know, uh, how, how diversity has been applied and how it's changed recently. So let me give you a scenario because this is something that I run into a lot when I lead diversity workshops. Uh, somebody says, you know what? I just, I don't have a prejudice bone in my body and I don't think I should have to take this. Uh, I don't think that I should really have to worry about this. So should I really have to worry about this if I feel like I'm not a prejudiced person? That's a really good question. Uh, I think that everyone has their own inherent biases and, and beliefs about, you know, different groups of people, different cultures. Um, you know, even, even sometimes within groups, the, you have the whole in-group and out-group thing mm. uh, based on everything from, you know, how light or dark someone's skin or hair is, uh, to, you know, uh, how religious someone is and, and how they worship the same, you know, belief system that others do. Um, so I think definitely it's, it's something that benefits everyone if for nothing other than just the, the awareness mm -hmm. of it. Um, you know, it's, it's something everyone should really be aware of because we are working and living in a global society at this point. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what are, like, what's the bleeding edge of diversity research right now? If you were to go out and look in the journals, what is it that, that people are actually researching about this topic? Well, there's a lot of stuff. Um, you know, you, you have a lot of information and, unfortunately, a lot of misinformation that's out there. Because, you know, look, as, as academics, I think we would like to believe that Many people are reading our journal articles, and uh, you know, I mean, that's that's <laughs> because they need not help falling the asleep, case. right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's a great cure for insomnia, <laughs> but ultimately, uh, you know, popular culture and the what they call the talking heads on media uh, outlets are are really providing the bulk of information, and unfortunately, most of them are not really you know, trained or, or knowledgeable enough to really interpret stuff. So they, they tend to find like one thing, one statement yeah. or one part of a research study and they'll hang their hat on it and say, well, research done at this university by so-and-so says this, but they're not providing any context with it. Um, you know, so for example, they may find one research study that's out there that says, I think it was a big push uh, about uh, making sure that there are women in executive roles in large organizations because they tend to perform better, you know, in terms of their, their, uh, their revenue streams. But there is also a tremendous body of literature suggesting the opposite. Hmm. So when it comes to the way diversity is applied, uh, I think that a lot of times you have organizations, frankly, that are, well, for lack of better terms, kind of afraid. Yeah. Uh, and, and as a result of that, you know, they're, they're really not reading 
the literature well. They're not digging in yeah. because, to be honest, the research kind of indicates that, you know, in most cases, diversity doesn't really help and it also doesn't really hurt performance. Huh. So it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting thing because people believe very strongly in, in some of these, these, uh, you know, almost like, like, you know, just fallacies. Yeah. And uh, they build organizations on it. But, you know, it's funny. When you're building an organization, you're only doing it the way you're doing it. Right. So you, you can't, you don't have the opportunity to say, oh, well, if I would have done it differently, it would have yeah. turned out better or worse. Yeah. You only know what you know. So yeah. that's where you end up with it. Yeah, that's um, that's one of my pet peeves. And <clears throat> I drive everybody I know nuts with this one. But anytime I read in a, a newspaper article or online, mostly online, you see, study says or science says or science yep. proves this or science proves that and then every once in a while I'll just you know I mostly dismiss those articles but every once in a while I'll, I'll see something that catches my eye and I'll go into the database and look at the study that that article was actually based on and find that wow they were just making a whole lot more of a modest claim than the reporter was making them out to be and I think that's probably true for a lot of diversity research as well. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't stop with diversity. I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty much all topics that the media presents at this point in history, right. uh, because they're really the media is less now about presenting news and much more about revenue generated from advertising dollars. Yeah, so shock clicks, and yeah. absolutely, I mean, shocking people sells. So you know, you make a bold statement that's you know kind of peripherally supported by some type of evidence somewhere, and you know, then you feel like you've justified it. So earlier you made a statement that uh, really caught my attention, and it was about diversity and performance. So if I take on the role here of sort of a hard-headed business leader, maybe an entrepreneur, and my business is taking off, and you know I run into you at a bar somewhere, and we're having a drink, and just you know, what could you tell me that would convince me that I should care about this stuff? So I feel like I'm being fair. Why do I need to care about this diversity stuff? Well. You know, I, I think of it in terms of I really, I really love eating pizza. Okay. But if I eat pizza every meal, every day, by the end of you know a couple of days, I, I'd probably be willing to eat just about anything that wasn't <laughs> pizza. Um, <clears throat> so it goes back to that old saying: "Variety is the spice of life." And I think that the problem is many times people try and force diversity mm. by trying in some way to justify that everything has to be equal. And the reality is, I, I believe personally, and based on what I've mm -hmm. experienced working in the field, we should be focusing less on being equal and much more on being equitable. Mm -hmm. There are things that I have a, a strong ability in. Now, it may be because of my history, my background, uh, the schools I've attended, the professors I've had. I mean, it could be for a multitude of reasons, but there are things that I'm good at that other people could practice and train for their whole life and maybe not be good at. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and vice versa. There are things I'm yeah. not good at. I mean, it doesn't matter if I spent 23 and a half hours every day playing basketball. There's no possibility I will ever play in the NBA. But there are people out there who mm -hmm. are talented and gifted and blessed and they're able to do that. Yeah. Um, so I think that you know, my sell on diversity is it's the differences that are the strength of an organization. You know, when people talk about diversity, they lose that oftentimes. They say, oh, everybody here will be treated equally. Everything yeah. is the same, no matter who you are, where you come from, what you do. But 
that's just not the world that we live in because people are, are not equal in every way. There are, there are people who are so much more talented and gifted and have so much higher levels of ability in different things that to treat them equally in a business that focuses on their areas of talent would be an absurd waste for that organization. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Uh, so it's you have to embrace the differences and find a way to, you know, maximize the use of those differences. And that's where I think diversity is often lost in this day and age. And the reason, again, I believe is in a lot of ways it's fear. There is policy. There is law. There is, oh, my goodness, an abundance <laughs> of civil litigation. I mean, yeah. so many things that go on that people immediately – will claim that they've been subject to some type of, of persecution. And in some cases, it's very real. So you can't dismiss them all summarily. You know, right. It's just a very unfortunate situation because the cases in which it doesn't happen, I believe oftentimes are far more frequently the ones that we hear about. Yeah. And the ones where it does happen – you know, a lot of times people, you, you don't, you don't get that same type of coverage for it because it's, it's not as interesting, you know, or it's not as extreme. Yeah. I see what you're saying. For a business, I believe that's, that's awful. I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you've got to embrace people's talents and allow them the autonomy to use them for the betterment of the organization. And by giving that autonomy, you're, you're likely going to increase performance and output. I mean, that, that's, I mean, you look at uh, the research of, of Pink. I mean, you know, autonomy and the ability to work on things that you're passionate about and good at, that's what drives these organizations. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that's it, important. At a certain point, more money won't. You know, that's another myth that I think a lot of managers have, especially, is that, you know, they tend to think that what primarily motivates employees is money. And it does to a certain extent, but it hits a certain point where it doesn't anymore. And what really drives them is the ability to do work that they care about and that they feel mm -hmm. like they feel like they're, you know, able to use their best talents every day at work. Absolutely. So this ties in actually pretty well with uh, some conversations I've been having recently about performance management and uh, the sort of shift away uh, that we're seeing <clears throat> from the one-size-fits-all performance management, annual performance review, compensation tied to that number or rating or whatever you get, and more towards one-on-one -on -one people development. And that ties in nicely, I think, with what you're saying is you're talking about developing the individual, helping them uh, develop and use their talents for the benefit of the organization versus treating everybody like a cog in a machine, which is kind of like the old Taylorism kind of model of, of business. Absolutely. I mean, I you know, I... I think about this often because I, I'm a second generation educator and, you know, as I stated earlier, I, I was a public school teacher for some time mm -hmm. and it was always interesting to me that, you know, there I am, I'm teaching and the cornerstone of, of public education is supposed to be protecting our democracy by developing and, and generating more educated, more intelligent, more articulate citizens. And we're trying to preserve democracy when, in most cases, states are running education in a very socialist fashion, hmm. where it doesn't matter how good or bad you are as a teacher. What matters is how long you've been teaching. That's <laughs> how your compensation is going to be determined. So you're, you're putting people into this you know, profession. And I know I'm not even going to get into people arguing about <laughs> we don't get paid enough or whatever. Right. But – 
you know, there's, there's an absence of incentive for someone to go above and beyond. And you compound that with, you know, issues like common core and, you know, the, the common curriculum and the actual lessons you will teach these things. Now you've also right. taken away autonomy and that educational freedom that people enjoyed in the field. And now we wonder why as a nation we have this massive teacher shortage and nobody wants to be a teacher. So it's, it's yeah. bizarre. We, yeah. we don't learn from these things. Yeah, it's not a real uh, <clears throat> appealing job prospect for most people to think that you know, their job is going to involve you know, just teaching people to a test or having to get drug along with whatever educational fad is coming this year rather than being able to uh, use their best talents as an educator to bring out the best in the kids they're teaching. Correct. So if I had a magic funding wand um, and I could fund any research project that you wanted to do on this topic of diversity, what would you do it on? <laughs> You're giving me a lot of leeway here. <laughs> That's, it's a magic okay. funding wand. There's no grant applications. You know, you're not going to have to. You're this not is wonderful. To, yeah. <laughs> Well, first, I would want to know where I can get this wand. This sounds magnificent. <laughs> uh, I think what would be really interesting to me uh, would be to take a look at, you know, if if you truly were were looking to create a level playing field in, let's just say, for example, selection processes. Okay. Um, if we were to be able to truly eliminate identifiers. Mm. And have people selected for positions based on, you know, their, their experience, their performance, perhaps, you know, pedigree. But I, I know then you get into the issues of unequal opportunity and whatnot. But right. we're using the magic wand. Sure, so yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say that that would be equal. <laughs> we'll, we'll make research uh, conditions perfect, too, while we're at it. Sure. I, I would really be interested to take a look at, you know, uh, let's say – Let's say the faculty at a, an institute of higher education. If you took people's schools attended off and you took people's gender and mm. ethnicity and all of that completely out of the equation and you had to hire people based on, you know, somehow maybe, maybe it's, you know, listening to a lesson that they teach and, you know, somehow reading their articles with the, with the names removed from them type of thing. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what a faculty would really look like. And I think that it would be very telling because it would show uh, some, some interesting data. It would generate interesting data about how far off we truly are with the way we do things now. And to me, I, that, that's the purpose of research. I, I don't enjoy doing research that I don't think is going to at least have the potential for changing the way things are done. Yeah. I think research is something that should be shared with the world and, you know, we should be capitalizing on that. And I, I would be very interested to, to see how far off we really are. If you take some of these institutions and you look at the way diversity has been implemented, you know, it, it doesn't really look diverse when you look at their faculty webpage of, of who's in their department. Uh huh. And, you know, you, you see the way that the, the term diversity is really adapted or adjusted, perhaps, to suit the needs of whoever may be making the decisions. Yeah. And uh, I, I'd really like to know what the faculty would look like at one of these institutions if we truly removed all of the things that people have bias and prejudice about. I would love to see what that faculty would look like. I think it would be awesome 
So that's what I would want to do for research. Now, I don't know how I would operationalize that, but we're still using the magic wand. So to me, that would be a really cool thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I can. The wheels are already turning in my mind, and, and that issue of, to some extent, blinding resumes and things like that. Some companies are doing that, where, uh, you know, you're 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 blinding the names and the addresses and trying to remove the identifying information from the resumes. But that tends to be in the screening, the early screening aspects of the uh, the recruiting process. Later mm-hmm. on, you know, everybody wants a face to face interview, and and I I really struggle. Um, and it's not that there's anything wrong with a, a face-to-face interview as long as it's you know structured and it can be useful, but it's really hard to change people's minds about the value of having a face-to-face unstructured interview. There's something about either the way we're socialized or it might even be the way uh, we're born is I want to talk to this person. I want to have a normal quote-unquote conversation with them, and it's really hard to convince them that when you do that <coughs> – you know, a whole bucket load of biases can come in and your interviews aren't going to be the same. So you're not really giving a level playing field to everybody in there. But that would be, I think, fantastic research. Uh, I, I look forward to, to reading it someday. I, I would look forward to getting a magic wand so I could do it. <laughs> but, so, yeah, I, I do agree yeah. with you. I, I definitely agree with you. I think, um, you know, that and, and you add to that the concept of there's a job that has minimal qualifications, Hmm. you know, and I don't mean that I'm saying like, for example, you have to meet at least this level of competency in these specific things. Yeah. And you have a group of people who meet those competencies and it becomes less about hiring or selecting the person who is the most capable Mm -hmm. and more about hiring or selecting the person who is at least capable and Mm -hmm. the best perceived quote unquote fit. Yeah. And when you talk about fit, you're immediately going into things like biases and prejudices because, yeah. you know, you're talking about in-group, out-group stuff. I right. mean, who's going to fit better with a group of, you know, people who are, you know, from perhaps like the same area, they're, they're working in the same office, they've been together for many years, they're going to probably tend to have a good amount in common or at least have found common ground. So now you're, you're finding a person who fits best with them. And then diversity is actually damaged by that. Right. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a a rich area for for more research and to develop more techniques for actually doing it. Um, and you know, I this is another sort of key point that I try to drive home when I'm teaching this topic is that you know we ha- we seem to have an innate tendency to like people who are like us. You know, that whole in-group, out-group thing, I try not to get too technical with that, but most people seem to grasp that, yeah, we tend to like people that are like us, which is okay, except that the opposite side of that is, and we tend to favor those people uh, against over and against people that we don't perceive to be like us. Even if we don't uh, have any animosity towards them, they just, they're not uh, like us, and so we have this kind of implicit bias against that and the... Uh, implicit association tests and things out there. Maybe I'll put a couple links to those in the show notes are, are really interesting for, for measuring that. Um, I, I know that they opened my eyes to, to some things about myself that I wouldn't have guessed before I took them. Um, tell us something about you that we wouldn't guess from looking at your LinkedIn profile or your CV. Hmm. Well, uh, 
Gosh, that's that's difficult. Um, <laughs> try and put a good amount on there. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I, I think um, people tend to look. The first thing on LinkedIn people typically look at is your picture. Yeah. Uh, they tend to. I mean, that's the first thing that pops up when you search for a name. It's all the pictures of the people with the same name. Um, I think uh, people probably would would have an impression of who I am based on the way I look. Uh, I I'm a bigger guy. Uh, you know, I have a bald head. It, I used to say it's by choice, but at this point, I don't know what would really grow back. So it may, I may not have that option anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have, I have a big beard and, you know, I think people look at me and I, I seem to be like a, a very intense, very big guy. But I think that, you know, oftentimes people perceive me to be a, a bit of a meathead having been a, a former athlete. And, um, you know, I think that that's a, that's a prejudice that I experienced. And I think a lot of college athletes, you walk into a class and you, you get that feeling that the mm. teacher thinks you're a bonehead or yeah. a dumb jock type of thing. Uh, so I think it would be my sensitivity. Huh. I think that that would really surprise people. Um, you know, I, uh, growing up, I, I grew up in, in an area and in a family, frankly, that had people from all different ethnicities and, you know, backgrounds and, uh, I, I, uh, I think that might surprise people. I think they wouldn't expect that if you just looked at me, you know, um, I live in an area in, in Florida that, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of, uh, I guess we'll call them like good old boy type people, uh, in some areas mm-hmm. and, um, walking down the street physically, I, I would probably fit in with these people, but I, I don't fit in with them in terms of ideals or values. And I think that people who judge me based on how I look may be surprised by that. I think that's a great answer, and it kind of points to another area of diversity that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, how are you perceived in terms of your appearance as far as, uh, you know, if you're a larger person or you appear to be athletic, um, are you put into a bucket, you know, and I think that does, and I think that's actually an interesting point about LinkedIn as well. I was teaching a workshop not long ago um, where it's, uh, in Europe, where it's very common to have a picture attached to your, your resume or CV as they call it over there. And absolutely. You know, I was just pointing out, you know, like, wow, you know, that, that introduces a lot of bias, you know, potential bias, even if you're blanking out the names and you know, that's what we do on LinkedIn, right? It's not, of course. Different. And the halo effect, I mean, in the reverse halo effect, I mean, this all comes into play. I mean, a, all you have to do is think about, you know, if, if you happen to be a, a, a guy, Think back to your adolescent years. If you saw someone that you thought was incredibly attractive, they may have, you know, something they do that disgusts you. You can't stand it. Yeah. But if they're attractive enough, you, you'll try your hardest to overlook it if yeah. they're willing to talk with you or go on a date. You know, I mean, and, and it's because you, you don't see the thing that disgusts you in them because you're completely overwhelmed by another quality. You yeah, know, the glow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it happens. I mean, it happens to interviewers. It happens, you know, uh, between colleagues. It, 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 it occurs. It's known. And there is a body of research that, that does support that. Uh, and that leads me back to my, my dream or ideal study of completely removing that. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think that, you know, the, the good thing is, is as we move forward in time here, it seems that although there's a lot of you know, animosity and hatred. There are also a lot of people who are, you know, in interracial relationships, mm-hmm. um, creating, 
you know, uh, families with, with different, you know, ethnicities and backgrounds and having children. And, you know, as those children grow up, I think that, you know, hopefully that there will be less and less of an issue because as we become more and more, you know, uh, mixed as a culture over the years, uh, you know, I, I hope that our ideas and values will, will adapt with that. I mean, and I guess, you know, for all the psych people, you'd say that's maybe like a little bit too humanistic. <laughs> and uh, I, I would have to say I agree, but, um, you know, one can dream. <laughs> well, it, Rich, it's been a, a really fascinating conversation. I want to thank you for your, your time. And I'm going to go and change my LinkedIn profile picture immediately to put, have my glasses. <laughs> I have big, thick frame glasses. So I think I'm going to put those on and, and maybe get the halo effect working for me. So hey, <laughs> thanks again. Hey, it's been a pleasure, man.